as like a regular go-to vermouth Cokey Trino. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I, knew Ryan I always say Cochi, which I knew is probably wrong. That's, <laughs> that's the redneck way to say it. This is episode 272 of Bourbon Pursuit, the podcast featuring news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. Before we start today's podcast talking about cocktails, here's your weekly bourbon news update. Fred Minnick, you know him as a part of this team, but he's also teaming up with Emerson Hart to bring a music and whiskey pairing like no other. For the first time in history, a Grammy-nominated platinum artist plays and talks about how whiskey inspired him his music, and more, along with Fred. This event will take place on September 30th at 8 o'clock p.m. during a live stream, and tickets are now on sale. It's $9 for general admission, or you can splurge and go for the $49 front row experience, which also includes a signed poster from the two of them. You can get your tickets right now at theultimatepairing.topeka.live. That's Topeka, like Topeka, Kansas. Or you can get it with the link in our show notes. Bob Dylan's whiskey brand, Heaven's Door Spirits, is in the midst of their second annual Serve Somebody Philanthropic Program. And from September 1st through October 31st of 2020, for every bottle sold, Heaven's Door will donate $1.50, which is the equivalent to at least four meals to a community in need. Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible, typically held in high regard every year, is undergoing major criticism and backlash from the community over his use of sexist and vulgar language when describing his whiskey reviews. And so far, Glenfiddich, the Whiskey Exchange, and the Scotch Whiskey Association had denounced and pledged not to stock the book. And Beam Centauri itself expressed its extreme disappointment in Murray, even after its Alberta Premium Cast Strength Rye Whiskey was named its World Whiskey of the Year in the 2021 Whiskey Bible. Now moving on to bourbon release news. We're going to talk a little about us and what's going on with Pursuit Spirits. And Pursuit Series now has four different barrels that are available in four different markets. Specs in Texas just landed its second barrel. And this 11-year barrel has hints of vanilla ice cream topped with apricot and cinnamon crisps. Again, only available at major Specs locations across Texas in their major markets. And the state of Tennessee has received its first barrel. This available at select retailers across the state has been spotted in places such as Nashville and Chattanooga already. And this is episode 33, and it's going to get you geared up for October because the show notes read, remember those suckers from Halloween that were green apple mixed with caramel? Well, here it is. And now we also have two new barrels available on Sealbox for everyone who wants to have their bottles shipped directly to their home. Episode 31 is a 10-year-old Tennessee bourbon that has the flavor that I would compare it to Dr. Pepper. And episode 32 is our second-to-last high-age barrel. This one is 15 and a half years old. And so if you've been a fan of our high age releases, you better stock up because we've only got one more barrel remaining after this. You can get more information about all of our releases at PursuitSpirits.com. Old Forester is celebrating its 150 year history with a limited edition bourbon release that references Georgia's original process, which is composed of three batches, also being unfiltered, and each presented at individual batch strength. 150 barrels were chosen by master distiller Chris Morris and set aside for this limited release product. Now, as I was mentioned, there are three batches. Batch one is 125.6 proof and comprised of 46 barrels, also known as from Jackie's Eye Can as the fruit bomb. Batch two is 126.4 proof, 
comprised of 48 barrels, known as Sweet and Spry, and batch 3, 126.8 proof, comprised of 53 barrels, is called Green and Spice. These will be available nationally in limited quantities in October of 2020 for a suggested retail price of, well, 150th anniversary, it's $150 per bottle, should I mention. Well, you asked for another episode talking about cocktails, and that's what you get. Back on episode 215, we talked to Molly Wellman and Bill Whitlow about cocktails for the right occasion. Now, on this episode, we talked to Nick Christensen, who runs the Single Barrel program over at Barrel Craft Spirits, but is also a nationally recognized bartender and cocktail competition champion. And she talks about the variety of cocktails that are out there and how it's really about swapping out simple ingredients to really start creating a variety, from classic mint juleps and old fashions to even creating your own bitters. Now, don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast and make sure you subscribe. Because if you're not subscribed, you may be missing our whiskey quickies that run on every single Tuesday. With that, enjoy today's episode. Now, here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. I hate to burst your bubble. I hate to be the guy that screams, get off my lawn. I hate to be the one that ruins it for you. But someone's got to. I just wrote about this for Forbes, but folks, it is not National Bourbon Heritage Month. I know everybody likes to use the hashtag National Bourbon Heritage Month and talk about how great it is to be part of National Bourbon Heritage Month. The fact is, it was only National Bourbon Heritage Month, now notice my emphasis on national, on in September 2007. You see, then uh, Senator Bunning from Kentucky actually pushed through a simple resolution that the entire Senate floor voted on with a a yay, and it became official that September 2007 was National Bourbon Heritage Month. However, in in order for it to be repeated, they would have to issue that again every year for the Senate to vote on it for a simple resolution. However, if it was a joint resolution or for it was a, it was another type of law it would have to become it would have to become law as the 1964 declaration of bourbon becoming a unique product the United States did however it is genuinely and truly and accurately and legally Kentucky Bourbon Heritage Month you see the Kentucky Distillers Association carts forth a proclamation every year to the governor's desk and the governor of Kentucky signs it every single year and it becomes official that September is legitimately Kentucky Bourbon Heritage Month. Now, for me, every day is National Bourbon Day, and every month is National Bourbon Month. So, while there is should be a separation with what is official, uh, because we're in the land of internet holidays like National Coffee Day and Potato Chip Day, uh, I do think that we we can and should celebrate every day as if it is National Bourbon Day. Hey, and that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you have an idea for Above the Char, or if you want to throw stones at me for poo-pooing the National Bourbon Day party, that's fine. Hit me up on the socials. Just look for my name, Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. 
Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Give 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Welcome back to an episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. We're back together, and we are recording today talking about cocktails. Now, we had recorded, uh, Fred and I, we actually went up to Cincinnati, recorded Molly Wellman, and talked about cocktails for the right occasion, and we figured we needed to do another cocktail episode because... We're in the cocktail culture, and I love cocktails myself yeah. if I'm not one of a neat pour. So it's it's going to be an exciting one for me today. Well, let's not forget our show has a budding mixologist and Ryan Cecil, oh, as you true. may recall. Very amateur. Oh, you no. know. I mean, he, he kind of introduced me to like the, using, you know, the maple syrup as a part of the old fashioned. Like, I, mm -hmm. I didn't really use that a lot before then. And so that's. Ryan's got skills. Yeah, I know. He's, he's got skills. Or just bored, you know, Get got to fill my downtime with something interesting. So uh, I took actually a lot of lessons from our guests, you know, tasting their cocktail or her cocktails, you know, at, our, at Butchertown Grocery and stuff really inspired me to to uh, come up with those for the, what, what was it called? Whiskey from Home? What was, uh, what was that what thing? Was that, what did I what do? was that thing we threw for 15,000 <laughs> yeah. people? Was, uh, trademark <laughs> pending. Uh, what was it? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in Ryan, you know, to, the, to your degree and everything that you did well, I mean, you nailed everything and then that, that floater at the oh, end. Oh, gosh. I know. But, we need we, I, Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that question, getting that floater. I, I can do it, but I need to know how to do it when 15,000 people are watching. <laughs> for and, New York Sound. And I don't oh, yeah. freak out, so. <laughs> oh, awesome. So let's go ahead and introduce our guest today. So today on the show, we have Nick Chris. Nick is the single barrel, or sorry, single program, wait, single program manager, single barrel program manager. <laughs> single barrel. Single barrel. Throw right. another barrel in there. Too. Yeah, another another single barrel program manager at Barrel Craft Spirits. So Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So 
before we kind of get in this, we always have a fun little icebreaker. And so the icebreaker that I kind of want to go through today oh, is what was your favorite TV show when you were growing up as a kid? Ooh, good one. Hmm. How young? I mean, as a kid, I mean, I don't know if, uh, if you're um, six to like 13. Yeah, yeah, something like that. That's, that's a good range. Um, I really liked Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, Ooh, the Nickelodeon series? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if that's my favorite, but that's what's coming to mind now. That's a good one. That's a good one. I was always a fan of Saved by the Bell. I mean, that's a, that's a classic. Yeah, good. that's a classic. Does that shock you, by the way, <laughs> no, that Saved by the Bell's his favorite? Yeah. I was also big As in- he's sunbathing, you know, now. <laughs> I, I go over his house nowadays, and he's like sunbathing. So it makes sense. With that, and I was a big fan of Voltron. Oh, I love Voltron. Voltron. Oh, I'm not familiar yeah. with Voltron. Oh, it, for me, it was better than Transformers. I like yeah. Teenage New, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was a good a one. Good mm-hmm. one, and I like Doug. I don't know. Doug was awesome. Yeah, Doug was fantastic. What yeah. about you, Fred? Do you have a favorite? Man, I had a lot. Um, <laughs> you watch funny, a lot of TV. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. Like you mentioned, like it's what's coming to my mind right now. Like for me, what's coming to my mind right now is Alf. Like oh, I, I yeah. used to love Alf. He scared me. But. Uh, was, alien, yeah, yeah, the little alien, little alien to have in your home, and you know they they approached a lot of a uh, lot of important societal issues. They did, <laughs> they did back then. They they touched a lot of stuff. So, all right, so let's go ahead and we'll we'll kind of steer this in back into over to Nick. So Nick, let's kind of get a little bit more about your background before you came uh, the single barrel program manager at Barrel. What were you doing before this? You know, of course the show is about cocktails. So kind of talk about your past doing that. Yeah. So. Um, most recently, I was at uh, Butchertown Grocery, which is a restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was the beverage director there. So um, I was there for four years. Um, before that, uh, bartended around different places in Louisville. And uh, before that, I actually was in uh, inter- interested in becoming a chef. So I worked in different kitchens, uh, learning cooking techniques and flavor combinations. And I moved to Louisville from Cincinnati about nine years ago. And before I moved to Louisville, I didn't know anything about bourbon. I don't even know if I liked it or if I've tasted it, but um, I, uh, I fell in love with it uh, pretty quickly when I moved here. So um, that's what made me leave the kitchen and go to the bar scene. And so with the kitchen part of it, I mean, did a lot of that like give you inspiration for cocktails or anything like that? Like kind of how did that play into what you were doing as a part of bartending? Yeah, I think... I had a lot to learn. I just kind of like dove right into the cocktails and there's a lot of like history and formulas and things that you want to learn first. But then once you learn those formulas, you can take uh, flavor combinations from the kitchen to to really um, infuse those into your cocktail making. Now I got you. What was your inspiration or like, did you have any uh, resources or somebody, you you know, taught you the the ropes or? I I read as much as I could and uh, I was actually lucky enough to... um, run into Gary Groover. He was the uh, mixologist for Southern Wine Spirits at the time. And um, he taught me a lot. So I kind of, you know, anytime he was doing an event or something, I'd come help out and volunteer and just kind of learn from him. And now he's a global mixologist for Marriott. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Gary's, a, Gary's a really good friend of mine. Um, of course he is. <laughs> we <laughs> did. <laughs> Who is it? Well, you know, what's funny is like when I was running for tasting panel, I did a, I put him on the cover of tasting panel. Uh, and that was uh, 2010, I think. And, um, you know, he's a judge at San Francisco World Spirits competition with me. And he's one of the most, um, he's one of the best bartenders in the world. And I feel like nationally, like in the bartender community, 
everybody loves that guy. And if he if you're in his uh, and if you're in his like training tree, you you got some special skills. So what made you want to go into the cocktail side? Like what, what was that? What was that initial hurdle? Or, or sorry, not hurdle, but what was that jump that made you want to do that? It was. I mostly was bourbon. I um, learning about so every night after working in the kitchen, I was working in a, in a bourbon bar. Um, I would go to the bar. I'd sit down, talk to the bartender, and ask about you know what's the story of this bourbon? What's the story of this bourbon? And I had no idea that there was so many so much history involved and so many you know stories that you could tell about these bourbons. And then you taste them, and then that's you know brings their own story. And so I just wanted to kind of follow that path and learn as much as I could and. And then make cocktails with them. So what took you to Butcher Town? So by the way, for anybody that doesn't know, Butcher Town is kind of like a favorite of Ryan oh, over here. Like we, yeah. we're, we're really big in, especially their New York Sour. Like I yeah, think that's, that's kind of like what set us on the New York Sour train was was over yeah. there at Butcher Town Grocery. Thank you. The rabbit hole that I've gone down with New York <laughs> Sours. It's like, but you you have the best. I mean, oh. by by far. It's well, thank you. But yeah, Butcher Town's fantastic. Got to get the gnocchi to go with that sour. <laughs> Pairs well. So <laughs> what took you to Butcher Town? Like, was it just a job opening, or did you know more about it? Like, what what kind of took you there so i had a regular at one of the bars that i i worked at and she told she knew that this restaurant was opening and so uh, she was like you know what i think this would be a really good fit for you you need to, you need to go check it out and um and i knew nothing a, about the restaurant at that time and uh i did not know bobby benjamin who was the chef um and so I just went to interview and I had one interview with him and he was so passionate and intense about food and flavors and like the setup of everything and the procedures and the processes. I was like, yeah, I need to, I need to come work here. So that's how it happened. And then talk about like, how did you, let's also get into your kind of like know how to get into cocktails. Like did you started behind the bar, but was it, you know, bourbon and cokes and you know shots of fireball or did it like did it graduate into something that was like butcher town grocery where you're making you know legit cocktails so it was definitely a process when i first started bartending there was definitely bad information about cocktails that people were teaching me and i had to kind of like figure it out for myself like is this proper technique or is this just something that, you know, this bartender learned from this bartender that learned from this bartender and it, you know, they never went into the research and study. So, um, give us an example of like putting club soda in an old fashioned or, <laughs> or muddling the fruit and stuff. Yeah. Soda in old fashioned, um, probably one of the worst ones for me personally, uh, was I was taught to shake a Manhattan. Mm, wow. I've done and, that. It doesn't work it doesn't out very well. well. Very cloudy. <laughs> uh, but that's just like how things were for a long time. So. I think it's getting better in the cocktail scene. I think people are really, you know, learning the true ways to make things. And so, so that's why I had to do my own research. But I was pretty much right into the cocktail scene immediately, trying to learn as much as possible. Talk about, like, what you do as a beverage director for a restaurant. Like, what's all involved with that? It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Butcher Trout Grocery in particular, you know, it's, basically it was it's two restaurants in one. Uh, so the first floor is, you know, all about... Um, you know, the experience and the dining, uh, a lot of wine heavy, but also cocktail heavy, but you want the food to shine. And then the upstairs was called Lola and is more of a cocktail bar. You really want the cocktails to shine. So on the first floor, it was, you know, more classic cocktails. And then on the second floor was more of like original cocktails and something that, you know, people aren't used to seeing. So um, 
cocktail development, wine program, coffee program, uh, beer, training, uh, managing the floor, talking to guests, just long, long days and uh, you don't really stop. So when you come up with your recipes, I guess, do you put them in like in a manual and then like, you know, say a bartender, then you hand it to a bartender and they're like, I I want that whiskey sour, whatever. And they have it right there and they try to follow it to a T or do you try to do like travel knowledge or what? During training, yes. Um, Under my bartenders, I wanted them to learn them. So it doesn't look great if you're bartending and you have to like look up a recipe of something that's on the menu. Next card. (laughs) (laughs) You're on your iPhone. (laughs) Oh, how do I make a brown derby? Liquor.com. Looking up. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a that's a big question that I have for myself is like the the memory and just like the recall that goes into remembering. I mean, I, how many thousands of cocktails are there? Or even hundreds? I mean, there's a few staples, but I mean, like, how does like for yourself? Like, do you did you train yourself to be able to memorize kind of stuff like that? Because I've got a terrible memory, so <laughs> trying to memorize how to do tons of cocktails, I can barely remember how to do a gimlet sometimes, and that's just three ingredients. So, kind of talk about it, even just like memory training. Yeah, uh, it's definitely tough. I think flashcards are the best way. And uh, for me, I'm like a visual person. So when you're learning, if you have the flashcards in front of you, you you remember the specs, but then also you want to think about like the order that you're going to build it. So um, for bartending, you want to be fast and efficient with everything you're doing and you want to touch you don't want to touch some, the same thing twice. So if you're making, you know, three cocktails at once and they all have lemon juice in them, you know, once you have the lemon juice in your hand, you want to pour it into all of them instead of putting it down. Uh, so I did a lot of like pretend making cocktails when I'm like memorizing them. Gosh, yeah, I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about like, uh, you know, you're t- you said lemon juice for instance, like you know, bitters and, you know, I see some bars, they have their own, we made their, our own bitters or we make our own simple syrup or whatever. What's the difference, I guess, you know, as a mixologist or whatever, between like some like a, you know, Pei Chowds or Angostura versus like something you make? How do you even make bitters? What? Well, that is a question. So, I don't know how you make bitters yeah, what, either. Yeah. So syrups are a different things. Syrups are a lot easier to control and to, um, most craft cocktail bars are going to make their own syrups. I think it, can go either way on the bitters because they're harder to make and they're harder to be consistent. So, um, and am I cheating if I get the dailies two ninety nine simple syrup from the <laughs> from the store and it, just because I'm lazy? Tell me, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's simple syrup because it's very simple to make. Yeah, um, but you can buy it. I know I'm lazy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but bitters are essentially infusions into high proof spirit. So you could use like a mason jar and have, um, you know, some base spirit that's like 160 proof and um, botanicals, herbs, barks, things like that, and let it sit in there and you want leave it in a dark um, space. And I found it too difficult to make all the time and make it consistent because, you know, it's not just me making it, you know, it's you, this other bartender's going to make it and this other bartender's going to make it. So uh, I mostly did not use uh, house-made bitters. And there's also the economic factor to that. You know, it's... It, it's a lot more expensive. It's more expensive to make your own. And, and I guess, too, like, you know, every time that, um, you know, you, you go to a bar and they you look at the cocktail menu, the the cocktail prices have been going up every year. They, they used to be $8, now they're 10 now 12 
go to Vegas, you'll see a $25 cocktail. And you're like, oh, okay, I'll go to the aviary. Yeah, it's I'll like get $40. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like 25 is a deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which it was worth it. It was really good. Talk about um, how you build a cocktail out from an economic perspective and, you know, what all goes into that. Yeah. I think it depends on, you know, your bar program. Um, for me, where I was at Butcher Town Grocery, I had a little bit more. Uh, luxury of being able to use more expensive ingredients and uh, ha- and have a higher priced cocktail. Usually, like twenty two dollars was probably the most that I would have a cocktail for. But that comes down to we had a huge uh, single barrel program and we wanted to showcase certain single barrels in you know different cocktails. But if you're just looking at you know I want to do a cocktail between twelve and fifteen dollars, you just you know, break down the cost per ounce of everything that you're considering using. And sometimes you can come up with a cocktail and it's like this, I would have to charge $18 for this. So then you can look at the ingredients and see, you know, could I swap out this bourbon for this bourbon, uh, use this, you know, make my own syrup instead of using this to kind of get the cost down. What's typically the percent, like I know food cost is like roughly what, 15, 25% of the, you know, the final price. Is it similar in the cocktail? Usually... In like a craft cocktail bar, between 15 to 22% cost. And, you know, you'll have one cocktail where you make more money on, and then you'll have another cocktail where you make very little on. So but you it present should to Bobby, out. you're like, this one's going to be 25%. And then he's like, nope, keep working. <laughs> Get it down. As long as the overall cost was fine, then it sure. it all balanced out. So. I mean, is there, where's the where's the room? Is it the room in there on like staple cocktails or like new new things that you all kind of like make up like where's that where's that room there it just depends so as long as it's interesting and it tastes good um you know sometimes a classic cocktail can sell at a higher price and uh we make less money on it but it just sells so much that it it works out and then other times it's it's an original cocktail where where there's more ingredients and the price goes up and we sell it for less just because we want people to try it you know if it's if they're obscure ingredients and it costs too much, a lot of people will be afraid of it. Absolutely. So I kind of want to dive into some of these classics real quick. So, I mean, is there a, is there a certain recipe that you like to follow when you're making a, just a traditional old fashioned? Yeah. So, um, old fashioned is like the original classic cocktail. So, uh, in it's like purest form, uh, you know, it's just spirit, sugar, bitters, and then, you know, a lemon oil, or orange oil or something. Um, so I try to stick pretty true to that and let the whiskey uh, speak for itself. So uh, I like a high proof uh, spirit and I make a Demerara syrup that is a two to one ratio. What's it? Okay, go on. Start dem- Demerara syrup. I'm already, I'm already lost here. Type of sugar cane. Yeah, okay, is that what it is? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know these Actually, things. Actually, uh, yeah, it's like sugar in the raw so it's a, a richer sugar than white sugar. Okay. And two to one ratio is like two cups sugar to one cup water. So it's thicker as well. Um, just a bar spoon of syrup and, um, you know, two to three dashes of bitters. And usually Angostura is the safest way. Um, stir it, pour it over fresh ice, and then lemon and orange oil. I'd feel with like Angostura, there's probably got to be like the tagline, like nobody ever got fired for using Angostura. Right. Like it's just like it's, <laughs> it's a safe yeah, place. Safe. Safe. Yeah. I mean, is there anything that people would opt out or not use for instead of Angostura? I think you can use anything. I think that's one of the cool things about like starting with a simple cocktail like the old fashioned. There's not very many ingredients in it, but if you want to just like switch it up and you know use mole bitters or orange bitters or try pay shouts, um, you can. And it's not going to 
ruin the drink, you might not like it as much, or you might find something that you really, really like. I like three dashes of Angostura, three of the black walnuts. I've been trying that. I don't know. Yeah. The, kind the of what little... for black walnut? No, it's a... Uh, Fee Brothers. Brothers. Yeah, yeah, Fee Brothers. Yeah, yeah. When you think of bourbon cocktails, what comes first, Manhattan or Old Fashioned? I, I, I go with the Old Fashioned first. All right. Mm, see, I'm a Manhattan person. Yeah. That's, all, that's why I asked. Too. There we go. I'm all the way. Losers. All the way. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Brown Derby, mm-hmm. and uh, we had dinner at your place, um, and you made me the best Brown Derby I've ever had. Oh, it's awesome. So, um, What's a Brown Derby? I was about to say, I was like, let's, let's educate some folks here. It is a um, bourbon cocktail with grapefruit juice in it. Oh. It's shaken, served up. Uh, it's really refreshing. But it can be, the grapefruit juice can so be like kind of bitter. It's like a salty dog, but with bourbon. I was about to say, yeah. I don't, I'm not a big fan of grapefruit juice. So I was like, is it's it? It's honey. The honey, like, you know, knocks the grapefruit juice down a little bit. And I'm telling you, it is just so good. I love, uh, it, it's a beautiful cocktail. But if you don't like grapefruit juice, um, then you know you probably don't like American style hops, you know. For like you're right, I don't yeah. like IPAs in my beer or yeah. for beer, so it's that's definitely me. So then that's that same that's that same type of uh, spicy bitterness that you would find. So yeah, if you don't like grapefruit juice, and you know, don't don't try it. Mm. I like it. I'm gonna try it tonight. <laughs> I'm still your note card over there. <laughs> <laughs> and then while we're on the 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 subject of debates here are you uh, a fridge ice person or like gucci ice you got to have like the clear crystal clear like balls or squares i think it's hard to get crystal clear ice all the time so there's nothing wrong with using you know good cubes that you make in your freezer um you just towed the party line there hard didn't you i i'm see we're on the same wavelength today <laughs> fridge ice is practical you know it's it's just easy I liking it. Clear ice is definitely better, but it's a, it's a lot more work. So it depends it's on how much time you have. Anything that's more work at this stage with kids, it's like it just gets erased from happening at my home. So True. how do you even get clear ice? Like what? I don't. I've never, oh, there's. I know I'd never do it, so I didn't research it. Plenty of right. things you can buy off Amazon. Yeah, lots of stuff out there, and there's some good YouTube uh, segments on how to do. Yeah, it. there's people that do it. They really get a, a small like Coleman cooler that like can fit like six beer cans in it, and you can actually fill that up like halfway. Now, I've never heard anyone use the brand name of a cooler. Did you just do that because of because it's a Coleman? <laughs> yeah, I own stock at it. No, actually, I don't. You know, not even not even not even related, but. <laughs> So when we talk about cocktails, there is a, um, things have graduated in the last few years. There's a level of like star tender, uh, bartenders are kind of, uh, just recently there was an announcement of like a talent agency representing bartenders. Um, and there's, it's become a little bit of a high end, high echelon, like where bartenders are kind of looked at as like the new wave of celebrity chefs. What do you think about this like growing culture of bartending and mixology? I think it's great. I think it probably started from cocktail competitions. You know, brands wanting to support uh, the bartenders that win those cocktail competitions and kind of, you know, make a bigger deal about it. Uh, And then social media. So these, you know, you can kind of promote yourself um, on your Instagram. I think it will help to have a better, like, class of bartenders because you know young bartenders gonna have better information but also see these people out there doing really cool things you know sometimes you get to travel the world uh for free because a brand's like come on let's go to spain and let's learn about sherry because you've done such a great job with our product and um 
it looks like it's fun and it is fun. And uh, so for younger bartenders, instead of just doing, you know, beers and shots, they're like, okay, I need to really like put time into this, learn the craft and figure out how to make really good cocktails. Do you ever enter any competitions yourself? Yeah, I used, I used to do competitions. Um, did you, like you win like a Four Roses one or something like that? Did I read something like that? You know, it was so long ago. She's got ago, too many medals. I, like, yeah, I can't yeah. really remember. <laughs> it's just, just the, yeah, the medals are just hanging on, on the I side. think I was a judge on one of those with, um, um, at the Four Roses one. It was at like the like 2015, 16, something like that, ring about. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all kind of run together after yeah. a while. So kind of tell me what you have on some of your notes over here, because I, I see you like either you brought up some ingredients that you want to use or like some history on it. So kind of kind of talk about what you got over here. Yeah. So um, one thing that I, I was thinking about, you know, bartenders at home, kind of like what you're doing is if you learn the a few cocktails that kind of have these formulas, you can from there come up with hundreds of different versions of those cocktails and different ways to go. So if you learn like, you know, the old fashioned the Manhattan a sour and you know you could even throw a highball in there like you from those four cocktails you could come up with hundreds of like endless possibilities do you just like swap out an ingredient here and there like what's the what's the mentality there so at first yeah to get comfortable like the old-fashioned you know you can change the syrup from a demerara syrup to a maple syrup or a honey syrup or you could create like an infused syrup um you can switch out the bitters uh you can coffee syrup i've done one of those those are good yeah. have you? espresso syrup yeah it's nice see and um, then you can start changing the base. So instead of, you know, a whiskey, you could do a tequila old-fashioned. And so once you get comfortable kind of switching those out and realizing that you can, you know, come up with something that fits your own profile, flavor profile, um, then you can kind of experiment a little bit more. And then you could do, you know, a split base where you might do like half rum, half bourbon or come up with something. And so that's like from the old-fashioned. And then... Like the mint julep came from the old fashioned, um, the same formula. So it's mostly whiskey, and a little bit of sugar, a little bit of something else. So and then julep, it's you know whiskey, sugar, mint. So then you know you look at a mint julep, you could you know throw in some fruit, um, switch the base, uh, kind of go there, and then you know you look at the Manhattan. It's mostly whiskey, a little bit of vermouth, a little bit of bitters, and so. That, like, those formulas, you can do split bases on the whiskey. You could switch out the vermouth for something different. Um, What's your go-to vermouth? I was about to say, I yeah, want to get on I'm, the vermouth thing real quick. I'm not going to tell you what team I'm on, but... Because <laughs> <laughs> last year I was traveling overseas, and one thing that we found out, every restaurant we went to, it's like, you would order vermouth straight. Like, you would just order vermouth neat or straight or on the rocks or something like that. And and I came back here, and then I was like, you know, this one thing that I never really got into is actually drinking. I really enjoyed it over there. But knowing that it goes into, you know, a Manhattan, which I always enjoy, but I never thought about drinking vermouth straight. So what is your kind of go-to vermouth if you have one? As like a regular go-to vermouth, Cokey Torino. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I knew Ryan. Well, I always say Cochi, which I knew is probably wrong. That's, <laughs> that's the redneck way to say it. Um, but I, I, I love vermouth. I like drinking vermouth on the rocks. So like Carpano Antica on the rocks is uh, perfect. Um, also, you could do a reverse Manhattan with Cokey where it's do two ounces of, or not Cokey, of Carpano. Two ounces of Carpano and one ounce of rye whiskey or bourbon is really fun. Um 
What about uh, like a Boulevardier? What would you use in, mm. in that? Those are uh, that's one of my favorite cocktails. Man, those things yeah, are dangerous. I love them, but it's like mm. it's like good night after one. <laughs> I want one now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think it depends on on what I'm using. So I like high proof rye Boulevardiers. So something that's like 110 proof. Uh, so then I'd probably use either Koki or uh, Carpano Antica on that. I've noticed I'm a bigger fan of putting more rye in my cocktails than I am bourbon as of recently. Is there something that is a big difference when you are making something, even if it's something as simple as a Manhattan using a rye versus a bourbon? Like, why would you choose one versus the other? The bourbon is obviously going to be sweeter. Uh, I think it's a little bit more approachable for like a, the general public just because it's softer and it's easier to bring out those sweeter notes. And then the rye has like, you know, the spicier notes that are going to come through in the cocktail a little bit more grainy and earthy. Uh, so it, it's a preference thing, but I like in both ways. It just depends on yeah. what mood I'm in. I like rise in the Manhattan, but bourbon in the old fashioned. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm in the same boat too, Kenny. Like I'm, um, I'm really not that much of a fan of bourbon cocktails. There's a handful I like. Heresy. <laughs> uh, but I like my bourbon neat. I like it neat or maybe a cube of ice, a little bit of water, but... If I'm going to do, you know, cocktails with bourbon, it's probably just a highball or, like I said earlier, a, a brown derby, maybe. What a, do you do with your highball? Just, like, soda? Yeah, or just a good, actually. Good Diet Coke? Grapefruit soda. Grapefruit soda? Yeah, grapefruit soda uh, is my favorite. Uh, but I love rum cocktails. I think rum is, like, the best, like, spirit to mix with. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on the flexibility of rum. Yeah, I, uh. The daiquiri, like the classic daiquiri, just, you know, two ounces of rum, three quarters lime, three quarters sugar is one of my favorite cocktails. Uh, I like a, I like a funkier, like Jamaican style rum. And I can do, you know, no age, but also like an aged rum. And it's just like, they're so good. Um, but there's a lot of flexibility to rum. And with like the daiquiri build itself, like there's a lot of different ways you could go off that as well. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah <Just salivating. laughs> so uh, so you mentioned the daiquiri and like my wife's just an enormous daiquiri fan we'll go somewhere and she'll order a daiquiri and like ah. and they'll be like our blender's broken and we're like how <laughs> we're, out of, we're out of dailies <laughs> <laughs> how frustrated do you get when you go to a place and they don't know how to make a cocktail Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Mm -hmm. 
How frustrated do you get when you go to a place and they don't know how to make a cocktail? Personally, I don't get very frustrated. I, I'm i aware enough to know that some places just weren't really, you know, trained in classic cocktails. And that has a lot to do with just the history of the cocktails in the United States. And there was a very dark period. And um, some so places... when you order a beer or yeah. wine. No. <laughs> or you just order what's on the menu. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Places that I know can't make a good daiquiri or an old fashioned, you know, I'm definitely beer and shot. So what's your go-to beer then? So like a bowler maker? Yeah. <laughs> no, separate. Separate, gotcha. Shot and then drink the beer. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so cool. Gosh, I know, I'm, I'm a wimp, I can't do that. It's been a long time since I had a bowler maker, that's for sure. Yeah. So what do you, what kind of shot, what kind of beer? Like what do you, do you pair them or you don't care? You're just looking for the, the effect. Yeah, I mean, I rarely drink a beer in a shop, but um, at the right time. Um, I like IPAs, lagers. Um, IPAs can be a little bit heavy, so right now I'm like really into lagers and pilsners, just like cr- clean and crisp. Yeah. And speaking of clean and crisp, and, you know, depending on the, the cocktail for the season and everything like that, you know, as you enter in like cold months versus, you know, kind of like very warm summer months, is does your preference change into what you're you're making and what you try to you know even prepare for people if they do come over anything like that yeah i think um lighter more refreshing like highball style or um like champagne cocktail uh citrus drinks in the summer and i mean i think you can drink an old-fashioned in manhattan anytime um and i'm personally more of like just a bourbon neat drinker at home um i don't really make cocktails for myself um but when people come over i'll make them Give me an idea of another like citrus based cocktail. You know, of course you got the old fashioned, it's got a little, you know, orange peel around the rim if you do that. I personally don't have an orange at home that I always keep around just for yeah. making my, my, my old fashioned. I actually don't like the orange in my old fashioned for some reason. I'm just, mm-hmm. I, if anything, I like the lemon, but not orange. I don't know. Hmm. I know it's probably heresy, but, <laughs> but you said I can make it a thousand different ways. So, yeah. I mean, that's the cool thing about cocktails. However, you like to drink it is like the way you should do it. Yeah. So give me an idea of another like kind of like citrus based cocktail that you could do for like a, a warmer time of the season. With bourbon? Sure. Why not? Well, the... Uh, or rum, the peace Fred, one or the other. Uh, New York Sour is one of my favorite. I know you love the New York Sour. I do. Let's, let's spend a minute on the New York Sour, but keep going. Let's spend 10. The Steelbot cocktail actually is pretty good too. Uh, do you know that one? I do not. No. Educate us. So it's, uh, we found out it was kind of like a made up thing that the bartender made up. You might know more about this, yeah. Fred. Yeah. But it was claimed for a while to be originated in the Seelbach um, before Prohibition, but um, a bartender actually created it, that story. And, uh, but the cocktail actually is pretty good. And it's, um, you know, there's bourbon and um, orange liqueur, champagne, lemon, uh, peychauds, and uh, it's, it's crisp and refreshing kind of like um it's like a highball with a little bit more flavor what about a i'll go ahead first i was gonna say that that cocktail is interesting because it it, it's one of those that kind of shed some light on the fact that uh much like in whiskey uh, the origins of cocktails are largely bullshit stories you know but it's just that's the culture of of everything in spirits just everybody loves the story yeah (laughs) But it is a really good cocktail. It is crisp and it is refreshing. Um, but um, yeah, that, that's uh, there's so many stories like that with like the origins of a cocktail. I mean, honestly, you know the 
in the 40s they were talking about like it wasn't a rum and coke unless it was like a particular brand of rum and Bacardi and a particular Coca-Cola and you know they, you couldn't do any other kind of cola with with rum and coke Dr. Thunder yeah you, you <laughs> couldn't do that stuff so it just it's just funny um how how silly some of those backstories are and then also how serious people take them because the cocktail culture um you know there's there'll be celebrities who will make a cocktail on on their Instagram or something and people will just tear into them for making it wrong who's the Daniel uh, Tucci um what's his name I got no, I have no idea. He's in like um, uh, the mocking. You know what? He's an actor, but, <laughs> <laughs> but he got crucified for for making a. Uh, I don't even remember what he made. I think it was a Negroni. This is a great story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I found five dollars. <laughs> Back when sandwiches were a quarter. Anyway, okay. Here, so, I'll save you for it. Uh, yeah. Talk about like a bourbon slushy. I've yet to find like uh, the perfect like slushy so recipe. Good. Do you have a good one that you can steer me in the right direction? I actually, I never did the bourbon slushy. Oh man. So. I think it all begins yeah. with the machine. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think I if know. you get like a, a high Not grade, a ninja blender. Yeah, you got to get like a legit industrial kind of slushy machine. I think that's just really where it starts from. Now, yeah. could you do a could you do a whiskey sour or a New York sour slushy? Huh? Maybe that's the ticket for Frothy, it. Frothy, icy, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I guess I guess that's a good segue. And, I wanted to hit the New York sour. Yeah, me too. Because, you know, the one thing about it with the New York sour is that there is an egg white involved, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's, it's really it's funny to kind of see like you almost have like a polarizing effect on people like myself, of course, Ryan, uh, my wife, we all love having something with an egg white because yeah, it has this frothy, it has this kind of texture to it. And then you have some people who are like a raw egg, like, oh my God, I'd never do that. So kind of talk about like just using a raw egg in, in some of these ingredients, like what's that like? So you have to definitely be careful and clean. Uh, I would not recommend wearing, uh, ordering a New York Sour at every bar. Uh, just read the bar and know, okay, yeah, I can probably order one from this bar. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can make the cocktail without it. Um, but it definitely, it adds just like this like creamy silkiness to it. And then uh, you wouldn't, you get that like really cool float where it's just like white, red, and then the rest of the, the cocktail. Where did you get the inspiration for your version? Of the New York Sour. So that cocktail, I actually, Marie Zahn, she was the, she was the original beverage director at Butcher on Grocery when I started. And so I, I definitely learned a lot from her as well. And so it was, um, she was the one that kind of taught me that style. And then, um, and I switched the way I did the egg uh, frothing. So there's different, that's another thing is like, how do you froth the egg? Oh yeah. How do you shake it? Wet or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So, um, let's get into this. So there's, you know, dry shake, reverse dry shake. And then what I call the two cube method. Um, so dry shake is you shake with ice and then you strain out the ice and then do a dry shake and then pour it into the glass. The reverse dry is you dry shake first and then you add ice, do a shake, strain to the glass. The two cube method is if you have good like inch and a half uh, cubes, you can put uh, two cubes in the shaker tin and you just shake it until the ice um, melts. And um, 
that's the method that I prefer uh, if you have good ice for it. I always thought dry shake was just like no ice. You just shake it in there and then put over ice. So I was totally wrong. Yeah, you want you want the ice while it's agitating because it's going to like cool it down. Uh, if you just do the dry shake and pour over ice, it's going to be like warm and... It, what, do you add spirit too, uh, or is the is the is it just uh, like the lemon juice and yeah. egg white? Yeah, I, I put guess, all I guess of, let's let's okay. let's go through the entire process here of a New York sour. Yeah. Like, tell us what we've been doing wrong. <laughs> yes. Break it down. Um, Take us to school. So you know, you have your two shaker tins. Um, in the smaller side, uh, build the cocktail. So you know, whiskey, lemon juice, uh, simple syrup. And then on the big side, uh, that's where you're going to want to put the egg yolk, or not yolk, egg white. Um, that way, if you mess up, you put a shell in there, you accidentally drop the whole egg in there, it's not in the cocktail itself. So, um, so you do that. If you were going to dry shake at that point, you would just um, seal it. You kind of want to go straight down on it because the ice, is, the ice uh, helps keep the shaker tin together so if there's no ice in it it's gonna want to separate so you want to go like straight down instead of at an angle and then you do a dry shake then you would add ice do another shake and strain it into fresh ice um a lot of shaking yeah i've, I've never i've never uh, shaken shake, shake, shake? yeah i can always have sometimes when you have the ice in there and it's cold you know the two and they get stuck and i'm like bang and i'm like damn it get out of there you know it's like how do you prevent that or can you that your hands are almost like <laughs> frostbit right oh i know you're done those damn shakers yeah. get so cold, like, so fast. By the way, you don't know you did this, but you just won a longstanding argument uh, for my wife on how to do a dry shake at home. So, oh, uh, really? Uh, just another yeah, argument. Just another argument that. I've lost with my <laughs> marriage. But uh, Do you leave the spirit out? I always left the spirit out, yeah. That's how I was taught. I was taught yeah. how to uh, to shake, and then and then with the, the just the egg white and, and the juice, and then add the spirit and the... And thing, my froth was always really good, so I well, thought I was doing it right. Yeah, I mean, there's different ways to do it, so. Um, so I if, didn't if lose it the tastes good, yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> everything's open to interpretation. Yeah. Yep. but no, your your method definitely sounds more like it better. <laughs> <laughs> it just brings all the flavors together. Yeah. Um, as far as the shaker tin, so you know how there's like kind of a curve in it. Mm -hmm. So if you think of it like a banana shape um if you flip it around to the other side so the banana's curving like this way away from you there should be a spot on the tin where you can just hit it oh. and if you hit it in that spot it pops open gotcha it's like having a like a, a, a like an ibuprofen bottle like you just got to know exactly where to where to twist it at yeah it's idiot proof you know <laughs> <laughs> that's my problem <laughs> So, so we've started breaking down the New York sour. For me, that's, that's, that's another favorite cocktail of mine. Now, I've always noticed that for me to make that float happen, like I've got to let the, the cocktail sit for like 30 or 60 seconds mm -hmm. to make the float. Or if not, it just, uh, it just starts like going in and then it just looks like a swirl. Yeah. You should let it sit. You can either let it sit just for a second in the tin, then pour it in, let it sit for, you know, another 20 seconds or so. And then um, you'll be able to tell when it kind of like settles and has like some structure to it so how do you pour in the wine i did yeah. over well yeah i mean like you just use a bar spoon and yeah just trying to pour it over slow time. as possible but it's tough when you got a camera on you <laughs> like people are watching yeah live um, too i used to do it that way and it definitely works but i i had to make them you know so often and so quickly that uh using like a, a little jigger and doing a half ounce of wine in there and 
quickly, like really fast, pouring it right in the middle of the cocktail. Uh, it'll fall in and then and then float back up, and oh. then you just spin the glass. Oh wow! I didn't know. You that. just saved me years of anxiety and pain. <laughs> <laughs> like every time I do it, I like get sweaty and nervous. I'm like, I gotta make those layers just right. <laughs> when I, I gotta show this one off, because it's gonna go on the gram. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you got the skill. You, you've gotten you've gotten an NBA NBA level uh, tutorial here, yes. and now you're gonna crush it. You got this, man. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> So, so one of the, I'm sorry, Kenny. No. I'm I, I'm fascinated with trends in the cocktail world because there there are all kinds of things like a like a small barrel that was you know 10 15 years ago everybody was doing it now it's kind of pulled back everybody's doing the barrel aged Manhattans now we got you know people doing like uh, smoke techniques what's a what's a trend on the horizon in the cocktail culture that you're seeing that you know we may be talking about five ten years from now you know. I actually don't know if I have a good answer for that of like what's to come. Uh, I think with all of those trends, they kind of like come in and out. So, you know, the smoking thing, uh, like a smoke cocktail where you put it over the glass mm -hmm. uh, or put the glass over the smoke. Um, I think that will be around for a little bit, but it's not very functional for like a high volume place. Um, so I think one thing that we'll probably continue to see is like cocktails that are good and um thoughtfully crafted that are fast mm -hmm. um because you know not everybody wants to wait uh 15 minutes for a cocktail uh, but then also using um ingredients that are sustainable so that's a big thing that i've noticed lately is you know using every ingredient if you're going to be juicing you know take the peels and you know dehydrating them and using them or um just kind of the same way in the kitchen where you have some meat and you want to use every aspect of it. And then along with the sustainable cocktail making, you can work with the kitchen and say, you know, what do you have that you don't, you're not going to use that I can use. And so coming up with more like seasonal cocktails that way, and sometimes just like creating it that day based on what the kitchen has. Very cool. Speaking of seasonal cocktails, do you have one during Christmas that you enjoy? Do you like eggnog? I'm not a fan of I love eggnog. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of eggnog. Um, I do like a flip every once in a while. So a flip is a cocktail that you put the whole egg in and you shake it similar to the egg white, um, but you have to shake it a lot harder and a lot longer. Um, but it's a, it's a winter cocktail uh, that's been around forever. Um, it's similar to eggnog and like the, the taste and the viscosity. But what else goes in it though? Can do all kinds of things. Go, like it's you just like, I don't know, what are you feeling that day? A little bitters, a little bourbon, a little rye, a little rum. I used to do a flip uh, every season and it was um, Spanish brandy was the base. Good. Yeah, it sounds so I good. I, I'm drawing a blank on the, the rest of it, but it was like, there right. were like four ingredients plus the egg and uh, and then like fresh nutmeg on top. Mm. Yeah. My my grandmother made her own eggnog, or they they call it float. I don't know why they call it float. Maybe it's flip. Maybe they meant to call it flip. <laughs> I don't know. But it was like tons of eggs, tons of sugar, and like tons of heavy cream, and then you just dumped in like a whole fifth of bourbon in there, and it was like so. It was like a milkshake almost. Yeah. It was really good. Sounds like heaven. It is. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Yeah. So it's like you got to do fifty push-ups afterwards to, <laughs> to justify it, but it's really good. Push-ups or sit-ups. Either one. Either one. Anything to get the, the gut moving, because that <laughs> thing is heavy. 
So uh, as we kind of start kind of wrapping this up a little bit, I kind of want to just kind of give a you know little idea about an insight about what you do nowadays. You know, as the single barrel program manager at Barrel, like talk about exactly what it is you know you do on a day to day basis in regards of like you know fielding answers and questions and knowing inventory and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So um, this is you know kind of my dream job tasting whiskey all day, pulling samples from barrels, working on blends. Um, it's, it's fun. It's a lot of work, a lot to keep track of, but, um, so we have single barrels. We also have private releases and I know you, you've heard about those, but they're private release whiskey and we have private release rum. Um, and they are essentially micro blends that we create in the barrel and then do have a finish on them, a special finish. So they're sold like single barrels, but we have to create each barrel. Um, so, you know, sometimes I'm pulling samples, tasting barrels straight to see if they should be single barrels or not, uh, proofing them, naming them, um, you know, writing spreadsheets all day. Um, <laughs> and then other days, you know, we're out here, uh, Trip and I, and, um, you know, blending into the barrel um, one by one with um, a plan of, you know, how long we're going to age these, and then we have to taste them all the time. So it's like, you know, we might think it's going to be like two months, but then we taste it two months and it's like, okay, we need to go another week or another two weeks. Um, so it's just a lot of, a lot of tasting and sensory. And then, uh, on the other side, a lot of, uh, emails and coordination. We have, you know, a sales team around the country. We have four people that we send samples to and they, you know, they'll go to accounts. Um, and then I also deal directly to account with accounts, sending samples out and stuff. Things have changed a little bit because of just not going straight to accounts um, these days, but we'll see when that can. Whose idea was it to do the that private blend? I mean, that was really cool. We did one, and gosh, we were blown away by all of them. And but uh, I mean, they were so unique. Such I mean, it was really good. Yeah, it started as uh, a rum project, and so it was you know a blend of Barbados, Jamaican rum, all different percentages with finishes and. Um, it sold really well. People were really into it. And uh, I, that started before I started. But on my first day, I went through a trip and tasted through about 30 barrels. And every time I tasted one, I was like, oh, man. I was like, I've never tasted a rum like this. It's so good. This is my favorite. And then I'd, like, keep tasting and be like, oh, shoot. This one's This okay. is my favorite. And I, like, that kept going on. I was like, okay, they're just all good. So it started with, uh, with the rum and then... Um, I'm not sure whose idea it was uh, when we first came with the idea to do the whiskey, but it came up and we started and we did 24 barrels and they sold so fast that we had to immediately do another 48 uh, just because, you know, certain accounts that buy a lot of barrels from us were like, I can't believe you didn't show me this. And it's like, well, we wanted to, we just didn't, didn't like, have any. Yeah. So we're making more. I've observed you um, in the, when you're doing a tasting. You're just so talented. You you uh, a lot of uh, a lot of barrel picking programs or blending programs. They kind of get boring and stuck in like uh, I want to say marketing speak. You know, and we've seen that we see that a lot with distilleries, and it just that seems to be void here. Like I, you never really hear any kind of marketing messaging coming out of barrel or or you. Uh, when you're doing it, and it's really, it's really refreshing. You know? Sit down and watch this video about our founders. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, 
try to let the whiskey speak for itself. I mean, if it's good, I shouldn't have to say too much. Um, my biggest thing when I'm at least guiding a selection is I try to keep things blind. Um, so you have as little information as possible so you can really just like focus on the product. Have you had, did you, did you have any experience blending before coming here or in, in who kind of showed you the ropes on that, that aspect? Not official, uh, experience. I, um, you know, would blend some whiskeys together just, uh, for myself just to kind of see how they would work. And then, I mean, obviously just like cocktails is like, I, w- I did a lot of like mixed bases where you're blending bases together, base spirits together for, uh, different flavors. So I've, I've learned a lot from Trip and Joe and, um, you know, they've, they've mastered it. They're really good at it. So it's like just being able to watch them and taste with them. I'm like, I, I learn a lot every time. Is there anything about like, I guess your approach or palate that's like different from theirs where it kind of helps, you know, elevate, you know, the brand, not the brand, but you know, the things going into the bottle, like what, what's your perspective on blending that they might not see or do or. Great question. <laughs> Um, Throw Trip and Joe under the bus. <laughs> exactly. This is the opportunity. As far as tasting goes, I think the three of us all bring different like um, viewpoints. Joe, when he tastes something, he knows like within five seconds if he likes it or not. And then uh, Trip, he's kind of the same way, but he'll take like maybe a little bit longer. And then I, I kind of go back for like three sips and really try to like understand it sounds familiar yeah yeah <laughs> it's like uh, kenya we're the whiskey quickies and then so you're more like a fred and joe and trip are the whiskey quickies mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys go right away you know right away we're within Typically. probably 60 seconds yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're gonna know what we know we know what we want well we think we know what we, we want think we, we think <laughs> yeah we do. when you're thorough though you're thorough yeah that's all there is to it yeah take time yeah so you know, Nick, I want to say thank you again for coming on today. I think we got really schooled on some aspects of, especially the New York Sour, but on other cocktails and everything like that. I mean, we hit on a bunch of things. We hit we hit rum, we hit eggnog, we hit old fashions, flips, like, flips. I mean, a little bit of everything. So I think it was fantastic to come on and again, kind of give our listeners another aspect into cocktail culture and really what it is, and you know, really educate you know on some of that stuff as well. So it was fantastic. So thank you again for coming yeah. on. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been awesome. And I think it's also just a just a show of like uh you know the rising talent too in uh in the bourbon world and you're you're a big part of of the new wave of uh of American whiskey. And uh um, Thank you. Uh, I'm excited to see where your career goes because wherever you go good whiskey seems to follow. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks for schooling me on the dry shake. Now I'll now I know what I'm doing. <laughs> don't screw it up. When you <laughs> yeah, don't screw it. And now I can bang the top off, you know, get it all pop off the, the steel can or whatever. You should also try the shaker. Dove, dovetail in a New York Sour. Oh, that, that would be a match made in heaven. I love the dovetail. That's a good suggestion. Oh. There we go. So make sure you check out Barrel Dovetail, but also make sure you check out Bourbon Pursuit, wherever you get your podcast. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on everywhere. Every social media aspect. We're also on every podcast outlet. And if you like to, please do leave us a review because it helps other people find the podcast as well. So Nick, I want to say thank you again for coming on the show today and we'll see everybody next week. 